in the book of Luke as we go through it. But um, just to dig in to verses that sometimes we, we read over and over, but then God shows it to us in a different way. Right? The Holy Spirit speaks to us in a different way. So I'm excited to um, continue on with Luke, and I just want to pray real quick and pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning. Lord, we are so thankful that you are here. Holy Spirit, we would ask that you would just pour into us this morning, Lord, that these are your words, Lord. Holy Spirit, that you would speak, Lord, and our ears would be open to hear and our hearts open to receive. And we just give you all the glory in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you remember last week, um, Pete spoke on Luke 6, 27 through 35, about loving your enemies and blessing those who curse you, turning the other cheek. And so what we're reading today is a continuation of what some people refer to as the Sermon on the Plain. And there's some discussion whether this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount or if it's an entirely different sermon um, just on the same topics. And I'm not sure about you, but typically I need to hear things over and over again. So it's not too far-fetched that perhaps Jesus was was sharing this again. And so we're looking at more of this sermon of Jesus. And the focus of this section we're talking about today is on the judgment of others. And that's a difficult subject. Um, Last week, Pete said it so well, that the hardest part of giving a message um, isn't standing up in front of a group of people, um, although it can be terrifying. I'm just saying. Um, But truly, (laughs) the hardest part is that God is always speaking to me first always. And sometimes I think I'm the only one really needing to hear the message and you all just get to come along for the ride. So you're going to join me this morning and we are going to read Luke 6, 37 through 42. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So judging others is something um, we can very easily slip into. It's something we can be accused of. I feel like... The entire time of my, when my kids were teenagers, I was constantly being accused of judging them. You're judging me, Mom. You're, I'm not like, I'm not judging you. You're judging me with your eyes. <sighs> okay. Okay. It's really hard with teenagers sometimes, right? But um, even just a few years ago, I had taken um, the Birch girls, Addie and Ava and Leilani, and we had gone to the Science Center in Seattle. And of course, after running around the Science Center for a while, we needed a snack. So we went to the, to the snack bar, and Ava had grabbed, like, popcorn or something, and I think Leilani had grabbed chips, and there's all the things there, right? Chips, candy, all the really cool things that little kids really want to gravitate towards when it's snack time. And Addie came up with a blueberry muffin, 
And I thought, oh, that's a very healthy choice for a very small child at the snack bar when she's surrounded by candy. And so I said, Addie, are you sure you want a blueberry muffin? And she looks at me and she goes, Miss Laura, don't judge my food choices. (laughs) Here, you can have all the muffins. (laughs) Of course I didn't intend to judge her food choices, right? And I felt terrible. Um, But there are a lot of ways that we can judge people. Um, We can look at a situation and pretty quickly form an opinion. Um, Like we see a mom in the store with a screaming toddler just throwing themselves on the ground, and we think, she needs to get that kid under control. right? Or we see someone dressed a certain way and think, obviously that man doesn't have a wife in his life to get him dressed in the morning. (laughs) And sometimes we judge the way people drive. Um, You know, we're driving along and singing our worship song. You know, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. From you, idiot! Oh my goodness, you just cut me off. Oh, California license plate. That tells me everything I need to know about your driving ability. And lately, it seems as if people are becoming so quick to throw labels. And some of these are probably going to sound pretty familiar. Snowflake, close-minded, flaming liberal, right-wing nut, racist, fascist. And we are living in an age of trial and sentencing by social media. You sit next to a certain politician and you're vilified. You support a certain point of view and you are now the enemy and I must hate you. We sit behind our computers and phones, type out a quick 280 characters, and suddenly we have just sentenced someone to a guilty verdict via keyboard. But Jesus calls us to be set apart, to be different. And throughout Luke 6, the Pharisees had been just poking at Jesus and trying to find fault in everything that he did. And I think if Jesus had a Facebook page, um, the Pharisees would be putting the angry emoji on everything that he would post. Right? The Pharisees were so busy judging the actions of Jesus that their hearts were closed to receive the message he was offering. Jesus says in verse 37, Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. And Jesus isn't saying this to say that there isn't right or wrong or that we have to accept every behavior, that to not judge others means it's saying it's okay for them to act however they see fit. Jesus was very clear on defining right and wrong. In fact, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about murder and adultery and the narrow and the wide gates. Jesus set expectations, right? And they were high expectations. Matthew 5, 27 and 28 says, You have heard the commandment that says, You must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then later on in the same sermon, um, he says, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many great miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Pretty high standards. 
But, church, right after that sermon, he did this. In Matthew 8, 1 through 3, it says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus never withheld his love, his healing, or his mercy from someone because of their sin. Jesus didn't say, I'm sorry, you're a sinner, I can't heal you. I can't love you. I can't talk to you. I think of the Samaritan woman at the well. He shared the truth with her in love and in mercy, even as he was gently pointing out her sin. Jesus loving a person while they were in the midst of their sin was not condoning their behavior. It was loving them in spite of their behavior. This is what Jesus does over and over. He shows grace and love and mercy in spite of our behavior. He did it for me. And he did it for you. And it's hard sometimes, though, to love someone beyond their behavior, to see beyond their sin. And even one of the prophets had issues with judging others. And so we're going to jump back a little bit into the Old Testament and and take a look at Jonah. Now, some of you may remember the story of Jonah. He was a prophet of the Lord, and God told him to go to Nineveh because he wanted the people of Nineveh to repent. And Jonah said, yeah, I am not doing that. And he turned and he ran as far as he could in the exact opposite of where God was calling him to go. Now, to put this into context, the Assyrians are the ones who lived in Nineveh, and they were not only um, wicked people and idol worshipers, but they were exceptionally cruel adversaries. Um, my teacher in class put it this way, that God, was, God asking Jonah to speak to the Assyrians would be like God asking a Jew to go preach to the Nazis during Nazi Germany. Right? So Jonah hated these guys. He had no desire to go deep into enemy territory where they lived. So in short, Jonah gets on a boat to run away from God. There's a big storm. The crew panics. Jonah says, yep, storm's my fault. So they throw him overboard. Big fish eats him. He says, okay, God, I'll do what you want. Fish pukes him up onto the beach. And he goes to Nineveh. Right? And he gets there. And literally, this is what he says. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Okay, the tone is my addition, but I really feel like that's probably how he said it. Right? That's, that's literally all he said. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. He didn't say why they were going to be destroyed or how they were going to be destroyed. Didn't give a whole lot of detail in there. Didn't even mention God. But even in spite of this, the people repented. They tore their clothes and they put on burlap. They even put their cows in burlap. They were just repenting. The whole city repented. And in Jonah 3.10 it says this. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Now you think Jonah would be happy, right? These corrupt Evil people turn from their wicked ways and turn to the Lord. Nope. Jonah was angry. 
And he said to God, and okay, this is my tone, but I think this is how he said it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. In Jonah's mind, they didn't deserve God's forgiveness. They were wrong and evil in his eyes, and nothing they could do could change that. Jonah had judged them and found them guilty, regardless of their heart to change. See, there was no mercy in Jonah's message. And I think the church as a whole has sometimes missed the mark in this area of judgment. And I heard this the other day, and it's really been pulling at my heart, and that the church has become known for what we are against instead of what we are for. And sometimes I think we forget the mercy in our message. We're quick to condemn behaviors and viewpoints and actions and attitudes, and what we don't understand, we judge. But truth and grace are not mutually exclusive. Sometimes, though, we treat them as they can't go together. Grace without truth is meaningless. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. I am a fallen, broken sinner, and I earn death. The choices I made separated me from God. That is truth. But Jesus' death on the cross would be meaningless if it wasn't to pay the debt for sin so that mankind's relationship with God could be restored. God loved us so much that in spite of our behavior, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our sin, in fact, because of it, he sent his son to die for us. Jesus willingly suffered and died to redeem my life, even though I did nothing to earn it or deserve it. That is grace. And truth without grace is just as meaningless. If you remove grace from truth, then all you have is an imitation of grace. Truth without grace lacks love, and it pushes people down, and it easily slips into judgment and legalism. And judgment is incompatible with an authentic Christian walk. Jesus did not just speak truth. He is truth. He accepted people beyond religious and racial and gender barriers, and that was not normal for someone of his time and culture. Because of Jesus' great love, people were drawn to him. If through Jesus we have been giving mercy and grace, shouldn't we also extend that same mercy and grace to others? God has not given us the job of judge. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. There is sin. There are moral failings that are clearly defined in God's word. But we are called to show compassion to the lost, even in the midst of their sin. 
Lisa Bevere is an amazing Christian speaker. She spoke at um, Foursquare's National Convention um, last year, and she has this great podcast, and it's called I Am Adamant. And her podcasts talk about the different areas of aligning biblical truth in our current culture, which is a challenge. It's a challenge. And one podcast she hosted, um, his name is Dr. Preston Sprinkle, and to speak about loving broken people. And he deals particularly with the issue of the church and the LGBTQ community, which is a very difficult and divisive subject. And I wanted to share a story that he shared during this podcast. He told the story of a woman we'll call Nancy, who had been raised in the church, attended church her whole life. And as a young adult, Nancy began dealing with the issue of gender identity. So she went to her pastor for counsel. After she confided in him, he proceeded to walk her to the door. She was told she was disgusting and destined for hell and was to never come back. People will gravitate to where they find love. So not finding love in the church Nancy left and sought out the LGBTQ community. And she entered into a relationship with a woman, and they married. Several years later, Nancy's wife found out she had cancer. And she stepped outside. She was so shaken with the news. Um, She lit a cigarette and somehow caught herself on fire. And she died from her wounds in the hospital three days later. And Nancy was devastated And in her grief, she wanted to turn to what she was familiar with, and that was the church. So she opened a phone book and found the first church ad she came to, and it was a conservative church in the area. So she picked up the phone, and she called the pastor and told the story of her wife's death and asked if they would be willing to do the funeral service for her. The pastor's answer was, We would be honored to. After this pastor showed her grace and compassion, she started attending the church. She found love for who she was right at that moment, and she started counseling and eventually ended up leaving her lifestyle. And Nancy now works for a suicide hotline for LGBTQ teens to show them that they are loved. And Dr. Sprinkle ended with this. You don't sacrifice your convictions by listening to people too much or loving people too much. Jesus drew the marginalized to himself over and over, but he never compromised the truth. We can maintain truth, but still love others with abundance as Jesus loved And I love this quote um, by author Carrie Newhoff, and it says, Very few people get judged into life change. Many people get loved into it. Luke 6.38 says, Give and you will receive. Your gifts will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, Jesus is saying here, whatever we give out, whether that is love and mercy and compassion or judgment, it will be given back to us. 
And this analogy that Jesus used was very um, common for the people that he was speaking to to understand. They would go to a grain merchant and they'd have their container and they would sit there kind of crouched like this and the grain um, merchant would hold the container over and they had their their little uh, apron like this. And he would just keep pouring and, the, and this grain merchant would shake it down and twist it and shake it down and twist it till it's filling and then overflowing into their lap. Now, today, I don't know about you, but I don't often go to the grain merchant. Um, so I thought I might relate this analogy to something that's very familiar to me, and that is ice cream. Um, <laughs> we have this shop down by work, and I can walk to it from work, which is horrible. Oh, it's horrible. I can walk there. But it's this amazing, amazing ice cream shop, and it's called Seattle Freeze. Really cute. Um, and they have this amazing ice cream. And they have just like six or seven different flavors, but they have all these mix-ins. So you can get like Captain Crunch mixed in or candy ginger or mangoes or all these different things. And there's no sizes. There's no small, medium, or large. There's just one size. And they take your flavor of ice cream and whatever mix-ins you want, and they put it in this... They call it like a tornado machine. And they pour the ice cream in and it blends it all together and then it gets poured into this cup. So they'll take a little and they'll just keep stamping it down, right? And I'm like, yeah, you just didn't stamp it down. You know, they just stamp it down and they keep pouring it until it's full. Now, it doesn't go overflowing into your lap. That would be messy and awkward um, and cold. But it is just this heaping, heaping bowl of ice cream. And it's so good. And you want to share because you have so much. You're like, here, try my ice cream. This is amazing. Right? We always, it's always so much better to give from a place of abundance. Right? And if we're giving in abundance, that's how we're going to receive. But if we're stingy with our mercy and our love and our grace, Jesus is saying here that we can expect to receive that same measure in return because how we treat others comes back to us. And in Matthew 10:58, it says this. Freely you have received, freely give. God gives so generously. I think of how generous God has been in my life. And if I'm to be a reflection of God's love to others, how can I give any less than what I've received? Luke 39:42 says this, then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, "Friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye" when you can't see past the log in your own eye? hypocrite first get rid of the log in your own eye and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye now jesus was using hyperbole here to make a point with humor um obviously it'd be disastrous for two blind people to walk around leading one another they would fall down um i don't know if you've some of you may have seen or heard of the movie bird box it was on netflix it was really popular and it's a scary movie because if you see this monster you die apparently so everybody's walking around with blindfolds and so I thought, oh, that'd be kind of funny to show, like, because apparently there's this thing called a bird box challenge where people were, like, blindfolding themselves and trying to do life. <laughs> there was actually a teenager that tried to drive the car 
It did not end well. Um, it did not end well. And so I thought, oh, it would be kind of funny to show these videos. And then I realized I'm watching these videos. And I'm going, these guys are ridiculous. And I'm like, oh, Lord, you're judging them. So I thought maybe it wasn't appropriate <laughs> for me to bring these in. But, but you can picture that, that walking around stumbling, two people can't lead each other, right, when they're blind. And Jesus is using this picture to talk about those who were blind of faith. Like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they knew and enforced the law, but were blinded to their own sin. And that definition of the word law that Jesus is using, it'd be like a house beam. So if you have this picture like me with this house beam coming out of my eye, and I'm like, here, Kathy, let me help you with this speck you have in yours. Right? I can't even reach her, right? Because I, I probably knock her over with the log that's in my own eye, right? And our, our point is we're supposed to be helping each other in the ministry of reconciliation. But how can we do that when we have our own issues blinding us. It makes us unable to see the needs of others, and it can give us a heart of judgment towards things instead of a heart of compassion. And I don't know if any of you have heard of the show Intervention, and I don't even know honestly if it's still on, but I used to watch this show Intervention, and it was a show about addiction. And basically the premise of the show, there was um, a family member that was in some level of addiction, alcohol, drugs, And the rest of the family was holding an intervention, trying to get this individual into um, rehab. And I ashamedly have to admit that I had a very judgmental attitude towards the addicts in that show. I thought, how could you do that? How could you sit there and shoot up with heroin with your kids sitting in the backseat of the car? How could you do that to your family? You just threw away everything, your whole family, your whole life for alcohol. I held a really strong judgment against addicts until my daughter became one. And with her permission, I'm going to share her story. Brittany, our daughter Brittany, this was about five years ago, um, started dating a young man. And it started out normal, fine. And as time progressed, we noticed a change in behavior. And she lived at home. And we noticed that she would just sleep for long periods of time. She was dropping weight rapidly. They both were. And, of course, they had excuses or reasons for why this was happening. So we were suspect but just couldn't quite put our finger on it. And her behavior continued to deteriorate, and she would just be gone for days at a time. And finally it all kind of came to a head when Dave and I were gone, And we came back from the weekend, and the house was just a disaster, and things had been stolen. So we didn't know what was going on, but we knew something right wasn't going on. And we knew that as much as we loved Brittany, that we could not allow her to live in our house and continue with the behavior. So we met with her and sat down with her, and of course she was very defensive, very agitated, um, And I can only explain this look in her eye as as having no feelings, no emotion. And we said, Brittany, we love you, but we can't let you live here if you're going to choose to behave like this. So she packed up her things into her car, and she left. And as a mom, that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life, is to watch my daughter leave, knowing that I didn't know where she was going. She didn't have a place to go. So a week went by, and I didn't hear from her, and I I figured she was angry. 
And then another week went by, and I had tried texting her and calling her with no response. And I thought, you know, I'm going to call her work. She's a hair, she was a hairstylist. And um, I thought I'm just going to give her work a call. And I called them, and she said, she hasn't been here for weeks. She quit her job weeks ago. So now I had no idea where she was. So I called her best friend, Jesse, and Jesse also had no idea. And Jesse said, I'll try to find her. But we had no clue. And about 48 hours later, I got this call that I will never, ever forget. I was sitting in my office. I can remember the time that I got it. And I was sitting in my office at work, and it was Jesse. And she called, and she was bawling. She goes, Mama Laura, she goes, I found Brittany. And she's addicted to meth. And Brittany and her boyfriend were living in their car, and they were staying in the Walmart parking lot up on South Hill, and they got in a fight about drugs. And so in the middle of the night, he kicked her out of the car, and she walked from the South Hill Walmart to downtown Tacoma in her pajamas in the middle of the night, trying to connect with someone she knew. And the drug world is interesting, and I've learned way more about it than I ever thought I would, um, but they are connected to each other. There's a network, and they all know each other, and dealers know each other. And somehow, she was, through these connections, she was able to find her boyfriend and got her keys and got her car, and it was empty. It was stripped of everything. All of her belongings were gone. So the only thing she could figure to do was to go to her dealer's house, and there, that's where she was staying, and she was selling herself in order to get money for drugs. And Jesse said, Mom, I tried to tell her, just come home. People love you, just come home. And she said, no. Brittany said, no, my, they, they won't take me back. I'm too far gone. They won't love me anymore. And my heart just broke. My heart just broke. And the second I hung up with Jesse, in my ear was the enemy saying, you cannot tell anyone about this. They will know what a horrible mother you are. So I picked up my phone and I texted Pastor Dan and I told him exactly what was happening. And he said, Laura, do you want me to post this? And I said, yes. Put it on the prayer chain. And then I called my life group and I said, please pray. And immediately they all responded, yes, we are praying And I called my best friend and I said, please pray. And I called all our kids and told them what was going on and said, please just pray. Because prayer was the only weapon that I had left. 48 hours later, I get a call from my son, Brendan, at 3 o'clock in the morning. And he said, Mom, she's coming home. Church, I know that your prayers broke the hold that the enemy had. Because you know we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and power. And the enemy had a hold on her. And they were fighting because the enemy comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And if they can't get to you, then he's going to get to your kids. But the powers of your prayer broke through. And my son Brendan, he spoke to her for three hours on the phone that night. Three hours over and over again saying, Brittany, we love you. Just come home. And she was like, no, I'm too far gone. And she was high. She was high on meth. And he still persisted, Brittany, 
Mom and Dad love you. Just go home. We all know what's going on. We all know what you're going through. We are here to help you and we love you. And finally, the last thing he said to her is, Brittany, if you don't get in your car and go home right now, I am driving from Spokane and I'm going to come find you. I will knock on every door in Tacoma to find you. And she said, okay, I'll go home. So an hour later, she was knocking our door and she came in and she just fell into our arms. And Dave and I just hugged her and she said, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I said, Brittany, and Dave and I just said, Brittany, we love you. Do you want us to help you? And she said, yes, I don't want to live this way anymore. So she went to bed. And the thing is, you know, I had been so busy judging addicts, I didn't know how to help one. But God is so good. And don't you know that he puts people in your path for such times as that. And I have my dear friend at work, and her name's Jeannie, and we have worked together for years, and I know her kids, and she knows my kids, and she loves Jesus. And she had a friend that worked in a rehabilitation center. So I called her. I said, Jeannie, I don't know what to do. And she said, I'm going to call my friend. You just start calling rehabilitation centers and see where you can get her in. Because I knew I had a small window of time that once that drug started getting out of her system, she was was going to want to go find it. So I knew I had a small window of time. So I started calling. I started Googling it and going down. Every single one of them, at the very least, had a two-month wait. I thought, Lord, I don't have two months. I don't have two months. And I just kept praying. And my friend Jeannie called me back. She says, can you get Brittany to an intake center in Seattle in an hour? I said, you bet I can. (laughs) May have broken a little speed laws there, but we got from Buckley to Seattle, downtown Seattle, in an hour. That is a miracle of the Lord. Because the next day, she went into intake that day, and the next day she was in rehab. And the journey hasn't been easy for her. They've been ups and downs. But she is nearly four years sober. It's amazing. It's amazing. But church judgment is the thief of compassion. And that's why Jesus is saying so strongly here, don't judge. Don't let your sin blind you. Don't let the sin of others blind you. Show mercy and grace just as you have been shown mercy and grace. We could have turned Brittany away. She had made her choices. She knew what she was doing was wrong. We could have told her to live with the consequence of her actions. But we loved her. And we wanted her to find her way home. And those people that are lost, that I was so quick to judge, God wants them to find their way home too. We are in the ministry of reconciliation. 
And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are to lead people to God through Jesus and do it in truth and in love. And as the worship team comes up, I'd like to read you Micah 6.8. And Micah 6.8 says this, The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And wouldn't it be so amazing to see the church known for what she is for and not for what she is against? And church, this is what I love so much about LifeSpring. You are known for what you are for in this community. You serve people and you love people. You give to the needy over and over. You are generous with your time and your finances and your love. And my heart gets so full knowing that I'm a part of this great community that loves others. Imagine what the impact would be if all Christians, we could step back from judgment, we could pull those house beams out of our eyes and live according to the fruits of the Spirit. Joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's this a verse that I would call one of my life verses, and it's John 8, 10, and 11. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. See, that woman was me. Laying face down in the dust of my own sin, ashamed and broken, But Jesus took my hand, gently pulled me up, and offered me love and grace and to go and sin no more. I need to be better about remembering that mercy. When I want to be critical and judgmental, I need to remember that 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 person I'm wanting to judge is buried in their sin too. And I need to, with compassion and grace, offer Jesus. There needs to be mercy in my message. And maybe there are some of us here that are also struggling to put mercy in our message. Maybe there are some of us that need to release that spirit of judgment and replace it with a spirit of kindness and joy and grace. And if you need prayer this morning, I would love to pray with you. I will be down here and others will be down here. Please don't leave here without it. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't know of this love and this mercy that I'm talking about, I want you to tell you that there is a God who is pursuing you. He loves you just as you are right in this moment. If you want to enter into relationship with him today, please come down for prayer. I would be honored to pray with you. 
And lastly, maybe there's some of you that have been living under the weight of the past judgment of others. You've been made to feel less than or insignificant, and you've believed those words. And I want you to know that the judgment of man holds no power over you. You are a child of the Most High God, and you are not defined by your past. And if you are a believer, your identity is in Jesus Christ. You do not need to allow the enemy to speak those words over you any longer. The Spirit can breathe life and joy into you. So if you need prayer for that, please don't leave here without us praying for you. And as we sing this last worship song today, let us remember the mercy in our message. God is so good. God is so generous. And God is so faithful. So let us go from here and share with a hurting world the goodness of God.